Hey, guys, don't they have any orange juice at that college of yours? Well, sure they have orange juice. But I like this orange juice better. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Happy Thursday morning. I am a bit late on this one. I was just finishing an email to all of the companies on Dynamite Jobs platform, letting them know about a new service offering we're trying out this week over there. If you want to see the emails, we sort of distilled all our different product offerings. There's a lot going on. You can just head over to dynamitejobs.com, click register, and toss your company up on the system, and then you'll get the email. So you sort of see this inside baseball. So it's free uh, to toss your company up at uh, the Dynamite Jobs platforms. And if you sell services, there's some benefits potentially as well. We're starting to uh, promote the services of listeners on that platform. So a lot going on. What I want to talk about today is understanding. I had this conversation that was like, I don't think it's necessarily like true, but it was interesting to me. So here, here's basically how it went down. I had had this reason or rationale as to why I you know, made a pretty sizable investment in Bitcoin a few years ago. And I was pretty public about it, you know, on the pod and like in my social circles and stuff and, you know, encouraging people like if, you, <laughs> you know, if you come to go to a party, you want other people to join the party, you know, I find myself in these conversations a lot. And, you know, I felt like I made my case again to a friend. And what he said to me was, well, you know, the thing is, is I just don't really feel like I understand Bitcoin. And, you know, when we were talking on the phone, I said, totally reasonable. And, you know, we got off the phone and I was kind of walking around and I thought to myself, wait a second here. <laughs> like, what do you mean understand? I mean, I don't know what he meant. He could have meant the, t- the underlying technology, being a part of the community. I don't feel comfortable. Understand could be a fill-in for so many things. And that's what I want to focus on in today's episode is this need to understand things is very strong driver in us. I think this is important when it comes to entrepreneurship because not only is the drive to understand, you know, before we take action so strong in us, but you can choose your battles with understanding. You're not willing to hold Bitcoin because you don't understand the tech. Like, do you understand how the stock market works? If you run your business on software, do you understand how that software works? Well, what do you understand about it? Well, that it's useful. Well, in the case of investment, you know, if you demand to understand every company you invest in, maybe you'll miss the thing that would be more profitable to understand, which is simply this. Will somebody pay me more for it in the future? There's so many things about our companies that we've owned for years that we don't understand, yet we own them, and sometimes they, they go up and to the right quite dramatically. And that's a very, very long way of saying that when so many of us get involved in entrepreneurship, We can't predict. We can't even visualize the thing that is going to get us the success that we want, the business, the product, the strategy. But we understand the process of entrepreneurship, which is tinkering. You have to tinker. 
you have to own and you have to ship while protecting your downside, you know, keeping your personal expenses low. Again, this is a process that we understand by listening to stories like you're going to hear today. We don't need to understand the critical thing that so many people would point to, which is like, well, how are you going to make the money? Just a little parable about the power of essentially choosing your battles and how important that is because the reality is, is so much of what we do in our economic lives, we simply do not understand. And with that, I want to introduce today's story, something that appealed to me so much. Today's guest email to me, he said, I put in my 10,000 hours at failing and became an expert. This email came from someone I knew, have known for a long time, Sean Markey, who's been a member of our community, the Dynamite Circle, since the very, very early days. And I've been able to see bits and pieces of the journey he's been on. But until this interview, I hadn't fully realized everything he's done and achieved and how he finally arrived at the freedom he craved. Just seeing that money hit my account was insane. I grew up pretty poor. I had $55,000 worth of student loan debt that I just assumed I would have when I was 70. Plus all the credit card debt. It was crazy to see that much money hit my account. It was a huge thing. So in Sean's case, that freedom involves being able to live in a small town just outside of Moab in Utah, a place he loves with his wife and his small menagerie of animals, some of which will make guest appearances baby on the pod today. I just want to point out because we often you know, talk about entrepreneurship as this opportunity to free will around the globe, especially on this show, but often I know for a huge percentage of the listeners of this show, the more important element of location independence is that freedom to earn a quality living and wealth in a place that's your place. So we're going to get into all that, how Sean managed to do this, basically by combining a bunch of different skill sets he's built over the years, building authority sites, SEO, and in part, acquiring used domains. But we also get into why choosing the type of business that's right for you has been so key for Sean and why he thinks he failed badly at that for a long time. We'll touch on the crucial importance of the people you choose to be around and why entrepreneurship is an inevitably messy, scrappy, and difficult to understand and so much more. And as you hear, Sean is super humble about all this stuff. Absolutely enjoyed this conversation. So let's jump right in. I started out by asking Sean to outline his business as of today and stand by for some insights about how it's been affected by the latest dreaded Google algorithm update. So in the past couple years, since 2019, I have built and sold about $750,000 worth of affiliate websites. And that's not including, you know, the money made while running them, like the ongoing affiliate income. Do you have a team? I have currently a writer that I work with full time and someone that occasionally helps me with stuff like posting content to WordPress. I used to have a much bigger team, but Google's December 2020 update just murdered all of my sites traffic, organic traffic, which was, you know, 90% of how 
people found the site and I had to let a lot of the team go. Can you tell us about that day? It was great. I woke up and the first thing I do laying in bed before the update, check the clicky analytics and see how things are looking in the morning, which is like the opposite of what everyone tells you. You know, you should wake up nice and then have <laughs> breakfast and work out. But no, that's not what you do when you're running or when I'm running like six affiliate sites that all depend on organic traffic. It's like, all right, what kind of day am I going to have? And that day traffic was down like 40 or 50 percent. And I was like, oh, damn, okay, <laughs> this is going to be bad. At first, it was it was okay. Like, you know, I was down like 40, 50% core algorithm update. Okay, that happens. Like, like, that's kind of what you're signing up for if you are investing heavily in SEO and getting most of your traffic from organic will, you know, build back. It's happened before. It'll happen again. It's not that big of a deal. But then like... A few days later, traffic was down another 50%. And then like a day or two later, it was down. I think in total, it got knocked 90%. The big moneymaker site lost 90% of the traffic in the space of a week. My understanding, like having lived through these kinds of cycles a few times, is that there's like Google algorithm updates that will target like a tactic that you're using and say, oh, okay, we're going to, you know, knock you a little bit. And then there's like algorithm updates that like basically cancel your website that like, we don't want this kind of website. It sounds like the latter is what affected your, your business. Yeah. My own research and experience shows that the thing this update targeted was specifically affiliate content. It's almost like Google's algorithm was saying, if you're going to, you know, personify it, like, hey, just inserting yourself between the user and their purchase is not a huge value add. Sites that were leaning too much on the best X kind of content, you know, like best supplement or best X for Y kind of keyword construction are the ones that, from what I've seen, lost like that 80%, 90% of organic traffic. And how do you respond to that emotionally when, you, you know, basically your business just melts away in one day? For me, it's like, okay, losing 40 or 50% of your traffic in a day or two, it's like curse words and I'm just going to take the day off and mope, but then we'll get back to it and figure it out and keep going forward. But like <laughs> when it's, when it's getting like 75%, 85, 95 I guess I found it funny. It's just like, wow, Google hates my site and this site is done. <laughs> what am I going to do now? Because it's not running this site anymore because it's dead. Start Googling around for how to make money online and stuff. Like the authority site affiliate business model is one that pops up quite often. And, you know, people start to say, oh, you know, could I start, you know, a website called Best electricracingbicycles.com and like start writing reviews of all these electric racing bicycles and they're really cool products and then you know linking out and stuff what's enabled you to make that work where for so many they they can't seem to get something like that off the ground sometimes it's just luck which is not a helpful answer but like you know sometimes google google's algorithm really likes a website and sometimes it it doesn't and i think that's something a lot of people have talked about 
some of these SEO people will start five different websites on the same topic and like two of them will really take off and start getting a bunch of traffic and three of them will like never get going. And and maybe you can make those work with a lot of work, but it's just, I don't know, like, like that's a kind of a terrible answer. It's only partially the answer. I think it's weird because you're an SEO expert yet. You're telling me it's a mystery. Yeah. I mean, Google, I'm sure doesn't want anyone really figuring out how to game their algorithm like it's just like this super long battle like they make an update you have to test things and see what actually moves the needle sometimes they'll take down some really big popular blog network or pbn private blog network or something and it's just to kind of put some fear into people in my opinion and others agree and and it's a little bit it's kind of, you know, tinfoil hat thing, but once they put it out there like, oh, your site can get like wiped out of the index if you do X, word spreads and a lot of people stop doing X. But anyways, that's only partially the answer. The other part of that answer is I got really good at a couple things within SEO. You can be really good at building links and just constantly churn out links and that can drive your sites towards success. Or you can get really, really good at something else like writing really in-depth optimized content, which is where I kind of excel as well as, and this is getting really into the weeds, but finding domains that are expiring and building a site on a domain that has, that already has links and age because it used to be a site it used to be a business for whatever reason someone let it die expire went to auction you know it still has five or six hundred links going to it like that's a really valuable pickup now we're going to get into that last technique sean talks about a bit later in the episode because helping entrepreneurs identify and purchase expired domains is the focus of his new startup juicemarket.com great domain (laughs) in which he's a partner with his former employer, Smash Digital's Travis Jameson, who's been on the show many times, a TMBA all-timer. But one thing I noted while we were having this conversation is someone who's, you know, I've always been familiar with SEO. I did it pretty seriously myself back in the late aughts, around the time this show just started. And to me, it seems like it's pretty much the same game. That was kind of fascinating to me, like whether we're talking about creating PBNs or private blog networks, we'll link to some episodes about private blog networks if you're not familiar with them, creating detailed long-form content, building links, all this kind of stuff that Sean mentioned earlier, in a lot of ways is very similar to what we were doing 15 years ago. I think the game is fairly the same. Like The main thing that's changed is these core algorithm updates these things happen several times a year and they really shake the board up in the SERPs, the search and in result pages. In the past, you know, you had like a a penguin or a panda, like this huge unexpected update. And it only, it wasn't as common. The first thing I'm pulling out of this as a principle is like back in 2012, when, you know, panda hit us, like it was pretty clear, like, what it was optimizing for. And we adjusted for that and sort of gradually won back traffic. But nowadays you're saying things are much more, these cuts are more profound and they're, and they're harder to understand. I think that's true. 
the core of SEO is the same, where you write good content, build links at whatever your risk tolerance is. You should definitely know that going in. When you mention risk tolerance, you mean there are ways like you, the aforementioned private blog networks, which are basically a bunch of bullshit websites that link to your site, which are in theory more risky to get links from than say, you know, running a PR campaign where local newspapers link to you. Right. If you don't know what you're doing and you don't have a high risk tolerance, you shouldn't do things like that. However, it'll take you much longer to rank. And at least as I've seen on some sites, you can still just sort of be collateral damage in an algorithm update, even if you did all the right things. Putting all your eggs in the SEO basket is a strategy that comes with a lot of risk, a lot of reward, but also a lot of risk. Has the fact that programs like Amazon Affiliate, you get a lot more reward linking to Amazon than like, you know, stuff back in the early aughts. Has that changed this sort of authority site business model at all? The fact that, you know, Amazon's making it easier for you guys to make more money? They make it easy to get into the game, which saturates the market. So now you have a bunch of people going after the same, you know, tiny slice of a, of a keyword or a niche. And including people like Business Insider. You find yourself like on Business Insider reading about the top 10 best K-cup coffee makers or whatever. And you're like, how am I here? <laughs> right. Yeah. I think Amazon is long-term a really terrible partner to promote their products because in the end, they don't need you. You need them. They have cut the affiliate percentage that they pay on, on a bunch of products, I think twice now. And the last time was in April of 2020. For instance, I was in the home and garden niche and I earned 8% on all the products I recommended. And then they changed it almost overnight. They changed it to 3%. And in some other countries, I've heard they're doing things where like you only make money on the product you recommend, not everything that someone puts into the cart, which was in the past a trade-off for their terrible low percentages. You know, you make it up on volume, but like that that's changing over time. Now, there's obviously like SEO for established businesses, but I kind of want to like talk about SEO as a lifestyle just for a hot minute. I'm thinking about maybe like that 20% of the audience who has a job <laughs> and is thinking like, oh, this is kind of interesting. Like I'm a little bit analytical. I know what good content is. You know, I studied English in university or whatever. How long might it take someone to earn a living online, say five or $6,000 a month in profit running affiliate sites? How would that process unfold? I mean, I can give my own personal experience. I think I started with the make money online SEO stuff in like 2011, maybe 2010, 2011. And I wasn't really able to, you know, quit my job and do it full time until 2019. And I did nothing but build sites and try stuff and fail that whole time. I would caution people against thinking it's easy and you can just sort of jump in and do it. I spent eight years just throwing shit at the wall and breaking plates and making a mess. And finally, it paid off. That wouldn't have happened without a couple of really important things, one of which was 
my wife has a super stable job and wasn't always pleased about supporting me <laughs> at times when I, I didn't really make a lot of money, but I wouldn't have been able to take the same path without that, you know? So that's, that's something maybe people don't talk about a lot, but I had a lot of structure and support outside of trying this. I'm glad you brought that up, by the way, because it's a very, very common story in the entrepreneurial community that, you know, you have a business partnership in your home. A lot of men are unwilling to bring up the fact that their their wives are part of the partnership. <laughs> so I really appreciate that. That's really cool of you to mention that. I mean, it must have felt great to be able to go to her and show her the success that you achieved. Yeah, that was uh, that was a whole thing. I went to college to be a special ed teacher, essentially. And I worked as a teacher for three years from 2010 to 2013, making more money than my wife was never. I think it's a stupid thing to be obsessed with personally, but like it was never a thing I cared about. Like I didn't get into teaching for the money, <laughs> for sure. I want to go back to the very beginning, but first off, I want to talk a little bit about your podcast pitch. One of the things you said that you thought it would be interesting for you to come on the show was that you're socially awkward. I don't know. That's not really my impression of you having spent time with you. I don't put myself out there a lot. You know, I, I'll never do video. I'll never speak on stage at any kind of event. Why won't you talk on stage? Like, I mean, I think you'd have, it would be so amazing to see a breakdown of your uh, authority site process. That's social anxiety. Like on stage, I, I'm awkward and I mess up my words and I constantly think about how I look. It's just a mess. Why would you do this then? I mean, there's a big editing process, honestly. No one's looking at me. Just weird, obsessive things that I guess a lot of, you know, maybe some people deal with a little bit of that here and there, but I deal with like a lot of that when I'm doing stuff socially. So being behind the mic with no camera, a robust editing process, I feel a lot more comfortable. I sort of see it as a virtue, people who don't want to share. <laughs> I guess maybe it's just like the trend nowadays is everybody's sharing everything and wanting to put their face on everything. And it's kind of cool that you can quietly, you know, make a living on the internet. You know, it's the old thing I'd rather be anonymous and rich. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I spent a large portion of my life writing, you know, writing fiction, writing music, songs. That's mostly how I'll interact with with the world. What was it then that inspired you to want to be a special education teacher? <laughs> well, I wish I had a, a nice, just like a nice story, like, oh, I was blah, 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 and I was super inspired. But But honestly, like... <laughs> I don't. What it came down to is, so I was certified to teach elementary ed, and then I was certified to teach special ed at, at any age. <laughs> the reason I got into that is because when I was 20, 21, still living at home and still pretending I was going to make it being in a band and playing music, <laughs> I was sort of faced with the reality that, okay, maybe that's not actually going to happen. And so... I thought, well, I'll be a teacher and I'll get three months off each year plus holidays and stuff. That way I can pursue my passion projects. By the way, 
that is not how that works. <laughs> no, like you'll be grading, you'll be planning, you'll be like renewing your licenses and going to meetings and conferences. Like don't be a teacher for the time off because you won't have any. I ended up getting super lucky. It was a school for teenage boys who had just a lot going on with addiction or traumas and they, you know, needed therapy. Like, like they had therapy sessions two or three times a week. It didn't come with a lot of requirements to like work really late or take on a couple of clubs after school. We started school at like 8.30 or 9 and I got out every day at like 3. <laughs> oh, and Fridays, every Friday was off. It was super lucky. And so I could spend way more time than the average person with a nine to five working on business stuff afterward. You're paying the rent. You have a job. You get out at three every day. Ostensibly, you could, you know, put together some ripping tracks and, and, you know, get some gigs on Friday and Saturday night and continue to work on your band. Why this switch to start to think about business? I think at the time my wife was experimenting with like a super small business, like a yoga, some kind of yoga thing, setting up her first WordPress site. It seemed like such a complicated thing. And it's like, why are you doing all this work? And then I tried it myself and it, you know, it's kind of fun. And I guess I saw it initially as a path to getting out of, you know, the nine to five, essentially the nine to three. And once I started going down that road, I think it satisfied a similar itch to creating music or to creative writing. Like you're building something from nothing. That really kind of hooked me and drew me in. I'm really bad at scaling a business and like putting processes in place. I take really stupid risks. They mostly pay, have paid off or eventually paid off. All the sites that I've sold, all the affiliate sites that I've sold have been like the lowest of low-hanging fruit is what I went after. And I loved building it from zero to one. Seeing those sales go through, building the brand, giving it a voice and an identity, but like finding like, okay, we can optimize clicks, anything like that, not interested. Like whatever, just take my site, you do it. I don't want to do that. I like the act of creating and building something, but don't like the running of things. And once I figured that out, I got a lot more success. Do you remember the first dollar that you made online? Yes, it was. So back in the day, Neville Medora, he had like a copywriting course. And I think I got like one or two gigs from that. And then the first consistent money I made was I set myself up on Fiverr. And this is like, you know, early, mid-2011. And I offered to make logos for people. And I did that for a while, and I got like a level, level two seller or whatever. It wasn't great money, and it wasn't great work, but it was really, it was like, okay, like, there's something here. Then I got into building my own sites with my own terrible logos on them. I don't remember how, but stumbled in across SEO as an idea. I guess like everyone else does, like, okay, I built this site, but nothing's happening. <laughs> what do I do now? And go into the warrior forum back in the day and 
buying really terrible products to kind of see what other people are doing. That's how I kind of made the switch to SEO. And and for whatever reason, that's kind of what stuck. That's where I kind of settled in. You mentioned that then in 2014, you do like this common next mini step, which is you petri dish your own ideas. You know, you need to traffic to a little site. This to me is like a very common entrepreneurial journey because like, you know, you're trying to go from zero to one and then you kind of like look up from your sandbox and you realize that like that your zero to one journey is really valuable to like bigger operations that have been asleep at this wheel for whatever reason. And then you basically start a services business saying like, okay, well, my site makes like 400 bucks a month. But the reality is, is if I applied my strategy to like your business, you're going to be making an extra like 40,000 bucks a month or whatever. It sounds like that's what you did in 2014 or something similar. So I basically got fired, long story, from the teaching job <laughs> in 2013. I was kind of crushed. I was like, oh man, like this was a cool job. It wasn't a cool job in other ways. Um, that's why I got fired. And my wife's like, you know, you don't have to uh, get another teaching job. Like you like marketing, go get a marketing job. <laughs> it was like, oh yeah, that's actually a super smart idea. And and But I had just watched a, or just paid for a uh, Glenn Alsop from Viper Chill, now Gaps in Detailed course. And that was like, going through that course was enough to get me a junior SEO job at a local Salt Lake City marketing agency. Wow. Yeah, it got me through the interview. (laughs) And then what I ended up doing there, it wasn't a great gig. PBNs were all the rage in 2013. So private blog networks. Mm-hmm. I was the assembly line for building these horrible websites. Like like this guy, I don't know how he was finding the domains. Maybe he bought into a service, but like, you know, every week he would deliver a bunch of domains and I'd install WordPress and I would put a little logo on it and I would, <laughs> I would take some content and spin it. Well, how'd you go from that to then starting your own agency? <laughs> Because I'm stupid and I thought, oh, I can sell this. Back in 2014, getting your own PBN wasn't as easy as it became. A lot of people like didn't know where to get domains and how to tell if it was a decent domain and then, you know, how to, to best link to your sites. So I figured I could offer this service that I, you know, got very good at doing just because I did it all day to other people. And I think I put a DC offer up and I charged $2,500 for a 10 site PBN sometime in 2014. And two people took me up on it. And I was like, whoa, I just made $5,000. I'm a genius. I will start my own agency. And um, that's not how that works. There's so much more in running an agency than just being like, oh, I got a service to offer. <laughs> you know, I think I made like $80,000 running my agency and like expenses were at least $80,000, like paying out other people, buying domains. So I guess I learned a lot, but I was not successful. It must be kind of a big bummer because it's like right there in your hands. I mean, you got $80,000 of revenue. Yeah. 
I think one of the the main things was I had no experience. And so I wasn't a very confident salesperson. It's like, oh, we can only pay you $300 for this. And I was like, okay, yeah, 300 bucks. Cool. Let's do it. And then it would cost me, you know, five times that just in my time to try and deliver that, not to mention getting content from other people or whatever. So it wasn't a great year, 2014 and into 2015. If you run a growing seven or eight figure remote company, your next productive team member could be just one simple phone call away. Check it out. I'm running an ad for our own stuff. How cool. This week's sponsor is our very own done-for-you recruiting service for remote companies, courtesy of dynamitejobs.com. You can learn more at dynamitejobs.com slash remote dash recruiting. Our process starts with a simple, free, no obligation phone call with one of our senior recruiters and often the boss man himself. We'll get a sense for your company, your mission, the candidates you're seeking. We then go out and execute the entire job search on your behalf. That includes marketing to our database as well as taking a lot of the budget from the service fee and going out and proactively marketing your job to third-party sites, services, communities, and so on to ensure you get the best candidates for each individual job. Again, we know how to do all this stuff. We perform all the filtering, the interviews, and the assessments on your behalf. So basically, we're delivering you qualified candidates who are interested in your position, who understand your needs, and are looking to have that final conversation with you about you know whether or not it's a good fit. So obviously, hiring can be a total pain in the butt, but the team at Dynamite Jobs does this stuff every day. We understand remote-first businesses and have the systems and people in place do the job quick and reliably on your behalf. So with our new done-for-you recruiting services, you can stay focused or your team focused on what you guys do best, and we'll take care of the hiring on your behalf. To learn more, head on over to dynamitejobs.com slash remote-recruiting, schedule a call, or drop us an email, team at dynamitejobs.com. So you have this tough year where you're spending more money than you're making. You're busy you're working hard and you're losing money. And then you write to say that a year later, Travis Jamison, who's been on the show many, many times, hired you to run his agency. Yep. Did you tell him that you were losing money on your agency? You know, what happened was, so at the end of 2014, I was like super broke, like just no money, like wasn't pulling my weight in the household at all. I ended up getting a job at the library in Moab, near where I moved. And I was like the children's library assistant or something. I don't remember. It was like a kind of a part-time gig, but it was all I could come up with. At some point in 2015, Travis posted something in the Dynamite Circle looking for kind of like an assistant to help with like marketing stuff on Supremacy SEO, which was his site at the time. And I applied, and he knew that I knew SEO, even if I was terrible at running an SEO business. I'm just trying to imagine you like being in this like online forum full of people that are doing stuff online, and like you're working at a children's library. What's the set of emotions around that? I'm super glad you guys had much more relaxed standards back in the day. I definitely would not have gotten in if I had applied with what it would take now. It was motivating to see these people. And to be clear, 
you joined the DC like so early <laughs> that like yeah. I was probably the person who looked at your thing and I was probably at the time thinking, oh my gosh, this guy Sean wants to pay me money. Because <laughs> you were you joined like when it started. 2012. All right. So you slide into the DC. You're hanging out in there, but actually you're working at a public library. And, uh, at first I was teaching. <laughs> but yes, eventually I did my own agency. I Failed super hard, had to take a job at the local library, watching the the children's library room, shelving books and stuff. It was cool. Like it, I'm thankful for it. It definitely got me a little bit of money when I needed it. It was motivating to see the stuff people were doing in the D.C., the success they were having. A little discouraging, but mostly motivating. It's like, man, all these people have found a way to make money. At the very least, like, I'm a creative person. I graduated from college. I know how to put the work in. Like, it's going to happen. I can do it. So you work in the library. You apply to be Travis Jameson's like assistant. Like marketing assistant or something, I think it was. The only thing I ended up doing was writing a weekly blog post on Supremacy SEO. This Week in SEO, it was called. I was there for, I don't even remember, maybe like 20 weeks. And then the guy that was running Supremacy at the time went to work on another one of Travis's businesses. And they had an opening, and, and it was just kind of a, an easy, convenient thing to move me from the guy who writes about SEO to the guy who helps run the business that I was familiar with. Part of the reason I, I'm so in love with what you're laying out here is like, this is the progression, typically. You noodle around, you can take that initial skill set of SEO and writing and creativity and you can parlay it as selling services, which is, you know, again, I say on the pod all the time, like a very hard way to make a living is to run a services business because you have to be really good at business. But another way to parlay that skill set is to build relationships around it and then to get a good job that you learn from. And it sounds like that's what happened here. Yeah, absolutely. Like I got good at SEO sales because I did a million of them. It was a great business that had a, that had a strong word of mouth and we would just get lots of people contacting us. I'd get on the phone with them and, you know, it was a lot easier to sell something that wasn't my own. I can see the results of the people that sign up for this service. So it was easy to slip into like, hey, you need this and we have it. And this is why you should sign up with us. It sounds like you ran Supremacy from basically from 2015 to 2018, which is now Smash Digital. Why did you quit? I don't know the exact reason, but I kind of got it in my head. Like I said before, I'm really interested in the creative side of things and you know, doing SEO for people, I guess, wasn't scratching that itch. I started looking for a place that might and, and I kind of settled on Siege Media. It's a content marketing agency that, that uses like really good content with really strong visual components and outreach to build links. And so I saw that they were hiring for a remote position. And I thought, you know, hey, maybe like really digging into this, this content marketing and just being more creative would be more fulfilling or, you know, would lead me to the next part of my life, whatever that is. And so I applied for a job there. How'd it go? <laughs> so they, they paid for me to travel out to 
San Diego. That's where their office was in early January of 2019. And with the exception of the library gig, the last time I worked in an office setting was in early 2014. And I was super excited. I get to the office on Monday morning or whatever day I started, and I was going to do like an orientation there. I got to the office. My memory is they had the heater blasting because, you know, Californians. And (laughs) I was so uncomfortable. It was so hot. And I got there. I was there for like three minutes. And I said, I'll be right back. And I walked out of the building back to the like apartment I was staying in, grabbed the portable fan and walked back to Siege, plugged it in at my desk and just pointed it at my face. And I felt so awkward, <laughs> so uncool. And they had us go to like the conference room to, you know, do some training. I took the fan with me. The other thing, I haven't really talked about this, but I have super bad ADHD. And I didn't realize how how much it impacted me until I wasn't, you know, in my home office that I set up in a way that that works for me. So working in this open office setting with ADHD and not taking Adderall or anything, it was it was a nightmare. It was like early indicators that maybe this wasn't a good a good move. I've been in that situation where you like kind of know you're in the wrong room and that's a very shitty feeling because you often did a lot to get there. You kind of build up the expectations of the people who hired you, your family, like everybody knows this is what you're doing. And then you start to realize like you don't want to be there. Oh yeah. That's a bad feeling. It was bad. I came home. I, you know, was a remote worker. We had meetings all the time. I had super tight deadlines at Supremacy with Travis. It was super chill. It was like, this is what you need to do. Get it done. Like no micromanaging. I left this awesome job to try and <laughs> grow as a person or, you know, expand my my skill set or whatever. And wow, I this is a huge mistake. And so I think I quit after like two weeks. Wow. You said I really can't emphasize enough how much I failed at things from 2011 to 2019. Yep. I became an expert. Well, you did become an expert because soon after you quit, you had your first big hit. Can you tell me, tell us about what happened there? What was the transition? I did a bunch of work before I quit Siege to drum up some like consulting projects because, you know, basically my wife supported me from 2013, 14 until I started working with Travis. And it was a long time and and it it sucked and that's not you know, it's not what she wanted to be doing with her life. And it's not what I wanted to, you know, I didn't want to have to rely on her to like, you know, pay all the bills, put all the food on the table. So I had to put together something in order to quit. Maybe this was like early February. I finally got enough commitments together to start providing like some SEO service to people. By the way, and just to flag up in your journey here, just another milestone is like being able to drum up a book of business like in relative short order, like that's an entrepreneurial level unlocked. You're making it sound like 
you just went and did it. Well, actually, that's five years of experience and relationships and stuff that lead up to that ability of, you know, if you keep pressing and you keep failing, you unlock these different abilities. And, and one of them is like, well, I can just go make a living. And that's kind of a cool level to get to because it de-risks the process if you push through to that level. That's a good point. Like, that's one reason why I felt good doing it is like I grew as an entrepreneur. Like I was the guy that worked at Supremacy and ran Supremacy. Like I knew, I knew how things worked. I was pretty confident I could make something happen. Okay, so you put together the book of business, but I want to get to this moment where you you have like your kind of first entrepreneurial rocket ship. So this whole time, one of the reasons that doing PBNs really connected with me is it's almost like building a mini brand, like buying a domain. The domain could be anything. Unfortunately, you're sticking like this really low quality PBN site on it. I was always really kind of obsessed with domain names. I just love the potential of what could be an amazing brand. And so this whole time I worked at Supremacy, I spent most of my money buying domains for myself. One day I'll sell it, whatever, buying expired domains with juice, like I'll build this out. There's like brokers that send out these little newsletters and you felt like an insider by like shopping every morning, like, oh, you know, aluminum can recycler hq.com is for sale or whatever. Right. It's like, oh, I could start an aluminum recycling business. Like I never even <laughs> imagined that, but I totally could. Like this is a great domain. I really also started to get interested in the cannabis space in like 2016 or 17. It just seemed like such a cool, like new, not at all mature market, like with so much potential. So a lot of the domains I bought were related to cannabis. And so long story short, in 2017, I bought a domain name for like 200 bucks and just kind of messed around and built some info content or whatever. But in late 2018, I put up a best CBD oil page and it did not do much of anything. But by very end of 2018, beginning of 2019, it started to rank kind of well. I remember making $1,000 in January of 2019, like when I started at Siege, and I was like, wow, $1,000. That's like a million dollars, you know? Because it's my $1,000, and I earned it while I was sleeping. It just seemed like this huge potential. In early 2019, I started really messing around with expired domains and like using a 301 redirect to like acquire one site from another. Okay, so we're going to have to describe how that works because this is a classic. I mean, Travis Jameson came on the podcast in like 2012 to talk about his 301 redirect strategy. So you have a site, let's say it's about, you know, I don't know, teeth whitening. So you have a bunch of content about that. And then you have another site that is also about teeth whitening. One starts doing better than the other in this example. And so you take all the content that you built out and all the links that you built to site two, and you're going to move all the content over or combine it or whatever with site one. 
you redirect it. You, you tell Google and all the other visitors to your site that, hey, this page now lives at site1.com slash best teeth whitening. And then you do that for each individual URL. You 301 redirect. That's the kind of redirect it is. It's a permanent redirect to this other site. So now every page on your original site or the site you're keeping has the link authority and the content and whatever from the second site. So it's a way to like really bump up the authority of your original site. And so an aggressive SEO might hang around on GoDaddy or on these newsletters or on your new business and say, well, I'm going to buy up a bunch of expired domains that were pretty well-respected sites, but people are giving them up for whatever reason. And I'm going to 301 those sites to my money-making site. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's definitely tactics that work better than just straight 301ing it out of the box. Like you want to build a site, you want to have that site have its own identity and its own rankings. It's way more powerful to do that. I don't want to say I stumbled into it, but I I tried to build out this second site about CBD and it just wasn't getting that much traction. And I thought, well, I've heard about this 301 stuff. I'll do that. And I did it poorly. I think I talked with Matthew Barbie. He works at HubSpot now on the Traffic Think Tank Slack group. It's an SEO group. Highly recommend that. He gave me a couple of pointers because he's done this kind of thing before. That was the first thing. The, the second thing was that made this work. That wasn't a, a 301 redirect, but I remember listening to the Authority Hackers podcast. They were talking about how Google loves fresher content. So like taking a post making some changes, updating it to make it more relevant to the newer date, and then hitting update was something that would help you rank better. I took this post that I had had for several months, and I changed the date, and then I think I added like one or two products on the post and hit hit update, and that's it. But it changed everything. I'm looking at numbers here, 30K, and then 50K in April, 80K for May. You're on a rocket ship. You had an 80K month. You didn't have any expenses associated with that $80,000. That's incredible. That's like somebody just dropped a Mercedes into your driveway like in one month. That's crazy. I love it. I still can't believe it sometimes. The site was making like 1500 a day on some days. A day. That's insane amounts of money. So what are you doing? You're like in the middle of the desert looking at your computer screen thinking what your life's... I mean, that must be amazing. It was it was an amazing year. I stopped doing any other consulting work. I stopped doing anything. But that site... But I didn't have to do that much. Like The site had whatever authority Google liked at the time. It was in between updates, so nothing was going on there. And it was just ranking in the top three, sometimes number one, sometimes number two or three for this insane, lucrative keyword. I want to flag up a couple things. The first is that this is the next achievement unlocked in an entrepreneurial journey, which is like, you became an expert. And there's a lot of experts out there. But now you're an expert who's applying expertise to assets that you own. 
And so now you can have asymmetric returns where you can't when you're selling your expertise directly. Absolutely. What did you do with the money? You're selling your time for years and now all of a sudden you have more money than you know what to do with. Must be insane. (laughs) No, it was for sure insane. The first thing I did was paid off all my credit card debt, of which I had a lot (laughs) because I was just taking risks. How much did you have? Probably around fifteen thousand. Fifteen thousand dollars worth of I mean it's not a domains and domains, marketing courses, buying links. Like it's not the most money anyone's ever been in debt on credit cards, but it was absolutely the most money I could be in debt because they were all maxed out for years. Well, and it sounds like you know, you did a lot of what folks on the journey do is they say, hey, you know, you, you got to spend money to make money. And so I should take this course and I should, you know, experiment with some links and, you know, it can, or I should run a little PPC campaign and it kind of runs away from you after a while. And you realize, you know, that for some reason that money's not returning money. Yeah, for sure. Why did you sell this website? I honestly didn't plan on it. Like it was a huge moneymaker. But in May, someone reached out, like this broker reached out and said, hey, I'm a legit broker. I have a client that wants to buy this website. Would you sell? And just for reference, this is May 2019 when this affiliate site just delivered $80,000 into your personal bank account. At this point, it was on track to make 80K in affiliate revenue. This broker was like, we want to, you know, my client wants to buy this website. Are you interested in selling? And I was like, yeah, I guess. I'm interested in talking for sure. You know, we got on the phone and they came back after we chatted with an offer that I cannot talk about (laughs) because of NDAs. And I talked to a couple other people. This is the value of a network. Like, you know, I, I dialed Travis up who has sold and bought multiple businesses himself. And I was like, should I sell? Like, what do you think? And he's like, I absolutely think you should sell. It was definitely for a life-changing amount of money. And I was like, all right, let's do it. What did it feel like to receive life-changing money? It felt life-changing, man. (laughs) It was like just seeing that money hit my account was insane. I grew up pretty poor. I had $55,000 worth of student loan debt that I just assumed I would have when I was 70. Plus all the credit card debt. It was crazy to see that much money hit my account. It was a huge thing. How did you acquire the CBD site that you eventually 301'd? Like, how did you identify that asset to bring into your portfolio? And then how did you ultimately pay for it? (laughs) I paid for it with credit card debt. It actually wasn't that expensive. I saw this name was expiring. I use a tool called Domcop, D-O-M-C-O-P.com. But there's a couple other tools out there like Spamzilla. What it does is it just lists all the domains that are expiring in the next 10 days. And it runs them through like the Moz or Ahrefs or whatever. So it like judges their quality in terms of like their SEO value. Yeah, it says this, you know, this domain is expiring. It has 50 referring domains. This one has 317, whatever. So you can go through and look for these expiring domains that have some 
juice already. And I found one that was, I saw it was expiring. I bid on it in a GoDaddy auction. It got up to like $750. And that was too much for me. Like that was too big of a risk. I just couldn't pay that much. So I lost the auction. What ended up happening was the person who won didn't pay for it. And I could kind of see that it was still in this like pending status. It did not have a home. And I kept trying to contact GoDaddy and say, give it to me. I will pay for it. Like, give me this name. But they just kept saying, oh, we, we can't. There's nothing we can do. This process has to play itself out. And so I, I watched it every day to see what was happening with it. And finally, it dropped from the registrar and I put in a bid at a couple different places that specialize in in catching names that are dropping, meaning it's put back in the general pool and these people pour a lot of resources into trying to win you that name. And they make money because if 10 other people want it and they win it, then it goes to an auction again and you have to win it and they just keep all the money. And so I was like, oh, please. So I watched this name. It took like, it took two months and I constantly watched this name. I really wanted it. And finally it dropped. It sounds like you had an instinct that this thing was going to be important to your business. Yes, because it used to be a CBD site and I was trying to build a CBD site. Links are great, but relevant links are really great. And, you know, having a site be about the same thing it used to be about is like the best of all possible combinations. So I really wanted this name. I put in a bid everywhere I could just to make sure that if there's a big company that specializes in this, I had a bid in with them to try and get it. And no one else put in a bid and I got it for 70 bucks. Wow. That's a kind of an unbelievable part of the story like like just the amount of stuff that ended up having to line up to get from a to b is looking back it's it's just kind of mind-blowing but yeah i ended up getting this name for 70 bucks and i built out a site and eventually threw on it what's it like doing business now after you have a success under your your hat i know you've started a newsletter that you have you know people paying you a thousand bucks a month to write about expired domains, your passion, one of your passions. You know, you started building out more sites. You're partnering with Travis on a joint venture. So you've gone from employee to partner. It sounds like you're a different different type of entrepreneur now. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's awesome. Like I get to work on what I want when I want. I, you know, don't have a job. I'm not accountable to anybody. And I'm super grateful for it. It's where I wanted to be, and it's kind of where I needed to be. I've been fired from almost everywhere I've worked. I'm a dreamer. I spend all day thinking about other things, and now I can just do all the other things I would be dreaming about if I were having a job somewhere. You mentioned that you've listened to this podcast since the early days, like along the whole journey. It sounds like you had a strong belief that you would sort of get to where you're at from day one which is remarkable given like how much time has transpired. <laughs> yep. Especially in the early days, like of failing and failing and failing and failing, like it helped to hear 
people coming on this podcast talking about their journey or, you know, people on Mixergy talking about their journey, like hearing about their failures or the things that trip them up, hearing about their success and just being like, yes, I will do this someday and just not stopping trying. What's the advice that you wanted to hear or can you attempt to give advice to people seeking to have similar results as you? I guess given all my experience, my advice would be, one, to have a strong support network, whatever that means, you know, whether it's your family, your spouse, your friends, people you are in business with, whatever, like that has gotten me so much, like from my wife to working with Travis, being like upfront and up close and seeing what happens, like that was super instructive building out your network organically and, and having a strong support structure in place. The other thing I'll say for me, at least, like I really started to experience success once I figured out what I actually wanted to do and, you know, embrace that. In my own head, I'm more of a creative person who likes the creative process. And so once I really focused in on that, that's when I, when I found success instead of saying, oh man, I bet I can make a bunch of money running an agency. Getting comfortable with failure was something that was very helpful on my own journey. Maybe it didn't start this way, but like just saying like, okay, I'm going to do this thing. And if it fails, it fails. And I'm going to hopefully learn something and take that away and bring that to the next thing. And just you know, keep stacking failure and keep stacking the things you learn from that failure. I mean, I really believe if you just keep trying, eventually something will hit. It has to, especially if you, if you grow with each thing and you learn and you implement that. I think that's important. A big shout out to my guy, Sean Markey. You can check him out on Twitter at Sean Markey. He also has a blog at ranktheory.com. And then there's, of course, juicemarket.com. It's a new marketplace for expired domains. It's got a great design, uh, really cool branding, and uh, solving a problem in the marketplace. Expect really good things from juicemarket.com. That's it. Remember, we got a Q&A episode coming up. Feel free to drop us some questions. And if you want to hear uh, some on the ground, real-time updates of what's happening with our services at Dynamite Jobs. Remember, you can sign up your company with a free account over there. That's it for now. We'll be back next week, same time, same place, next Thursday morning. We'll see you then. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.